HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware, a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecruzet.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jorge Riera. We'll talk to Jorge about natural wines, Frenchette, and more. We'll taste a red from the Loire et Cher that Jorge graciously is serving me. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jorge Riera has been drinking and promoting natural wines in New York almost longer than anyone. He started at Red Hooks 360, worked at Baldazar, spent many years at Ten Bells, Contra, and Wild Air, and now is the wine director at Frenchette, one of New York's most talked about restaurants serving only natural wines. Jorge Riera is a bigger-than-life guy and a true believer and evangelist of natural wines, but wasn't always that way. Got here, and he's going to tell us about that. So, Jorge, welcome to the Grape Nation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, what I want to do is I want to get... Give everyone an idea of who you are. So give me a little uh, background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are today, which is Frenchette. But walk me through, you sure. know, the current. Well, I, you know, I'm a native of New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn, uh, which are kind of rare these days living in New York City. People live uh, in Brooklyn and exactly. not born from Brooklyn, right? Exactly. Um, but I was... Uh, I. Got to the restaurant business by default, like a lot of other people, and uh, started. I, I worked. I opened up an American restaurant that was 
I'd rather not say the name, but it's very famous back then in, in Soho. And uh, I had a really bad distaste for the wine program that they had, not knowing anything about it. It's just me uh, being just the a person. Just a gut it's, feeling? It's just a gut feeling. And from there, I worked in a little uh, French bistro in um, Midtown, in Gramercy area, that kind of changed my mind because I started cha- I started tasting wines of France and the expressions in Beaujolais. Uh, I got a very early uh, uh, access to John, Jean Foyard, Marcel Lapierre, and these guys in Beaujolais and Alsace. And not knowing how they made the wines then, I gravitated. I gravitated towards those wines due to the accessibility and the, just the easiness in drinking the wines and how they went with foods. Uh, later, after that, I opened up Baltazar in 97. Uh, Jonathan Nossiter, who everyone knows from his documentaries uh, and worked early on in Obuco, did the list there and did a list that was very anti-Soho at the time. He, he worked with all small producers. And what's what's the anti-Soho? I'm just trying to think. Well, Soho back then was like these big restaurants that were opening up. They were super trendy. They had, you know, all the Bordeaux you okay, had. The wanted, trophy the, stuff. The, the trophy stuff. Okay. And he opened up this list that you had to work with the customers that were coming in there. They were like high fashion people, you know, the, the A-listers of New York City that didn't want to hear where this little farmer is. They wanted A, B, and C. Right. Okay. So, you know, he, he, he gave us a challenge to start with, and a lot of the wines within the list then were made natural, and, but that was a word that wasn't used back then in the late 90s. Um, and we had Darden Rebo, we had Claude Cotois, we had Lapierre, we had Foyard, we had, you know, Nicolas Jolie that we had to sell to the people, and, uh, and those wines really spoke to me. And, you know, when I started working at 360 in Red Hook with Arno Earhart. How, uh, did, how did you come to meet Arno? Uh, Arno and I, we opened up Baltazar. So we oh, met you did? Baltazar. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah, realize yeah. it. And uh, he left to open up his own restaurant. And I had, you know, this is three years down the road now. And I was working in another place and I was helping him out. And the night that Eric came in, that he was doing his 25 and under, is when I decided to just stay there because I knew it was going to be busy. And it was just a different pace from working in Manhattan all those years. And I really loved what he put together. He put a really evangelist, uh, all-natural wine program that back then the bottles were like $18. The three-course prefix was $20. You know, it was unheard of to do this today. Die for a place like that in any neighborhood, right? But it was was great to to introduce these wines to this whole crowd in, in Red Hook, in Brooklyn, in New York in general, and just to talk about the wines you know it was, was really anyone, engaging was anyone doing that no anywhere? one was doing that then. really yeah and then it slowly you know people started catching on and you know restaurants were being designed within the dining room you know that are successful today in Brooklyn and it was just a fun and a very special place and for me it was the most authentic French bistro that there is you know slightly modeled kind of with the feeling of what Baratin is right in Paris but it was a very special and unique place and I still have customers that come to Frenchette now. That were there. That, that were there, that follow, that only drink natural wine since but then. But this has exposed. a similar vibe in the sense that it's neighborhoody and warm yes. and all of that. Yes. All right, so you're there how long? Uh, I was there five and a half years, wow. practically, yeah. yeah. Then where, what happened? Uh, and then from there, I went to, uh, actually, I came to this space. It was called Circle Rouge. 
and uh, it was owned by George Forgeois, who had a pretty simple list at the time. And I said, if I come here, I'm going to change the whole list natural. He agreed, and I did that. I ran that for eight months, but I realized it wasn't really, the food wasn't really what I wanted. And that's when they had wanted me to open up uh, Ten Bells, and I had committed to George here. And after when I wasn't happy, I wound up going to, to Ten Bells for five and a half years. So Ten, Bell, Ten Bells is a good example of how the natural wine scene movement and bars is starting to evolve, right? Yeah. Opening a place like that? Yeah, yeah. That, that place was, uh, you know a foot link in Manhattan as a natural wine because right. you know you have a lot of these mama and pop restaurants in Brooklyn that were starting to do this because of 360 but in Manhattan that was the the only place for a very long time and that's where I met Jeremiah and Fabian because they were looking for they just got back from Europe they were looking for their space they were coming in every day and we you know we made friends and you know they were coming in basically I think they almost signed their lease in, in, in Ten Bells. At the bar. Yeah. Tell everyone who uh, Jeremiah and Fabian are. Yeah, Jeremiah Stone and Fabian Van Huska, they have these two great uh, restaurants on Orchard. One is called Contra. That opened is, first. That opened first. That was an all-degustation, uh, you know, prefix menu. Uh, similar to what we were doing, you know, similar to what we did in 360 and the, and the European model of prefix. And then we opened up a wine bar next door called Wilder that uh, it was a la carte. Wilder or Wilder? Wilder. Okay, was the real say name, it right. No one, Will no you one, worry? Don't make me come over that side of the Brooklyn. table. I, said, <laughs> I, said, I say Wilder. But, uh, How long after did uh, Wilder open? After uh, two years. Two years. Two years, okay. yeah. Um, and that place was focusing on uh, a la carte and I, made, I, I, I kind of really expanded on the list and, and did a lot more large formats because there was a lot more by the glass there and and I went to different regions that I that I wasn't going in Contra. In Contra, I mainly stayed within France, uh, a lot of Loire, and I I put a wine pairing on the menu that didn't exist before, and it was super successful. And I did really unorthodox pairings, and uh, you know, and I had a lot of fun with it. So it gave you a chance to expand, grow, or whatever. exactly. So at this point, you're doing uh, wine programs at restaurants that are kind of coin natural wine bars. I mean, what's expanding? Are you traveling? Are you meeting winemakers? Uh, Is there more product available? I mean, things are changing, right? Yeah, things are changing. I mean, there's constantly a new winemaker to discover. There's more wine that you can possibly, you know, put on the list. And, uh, you know, when you go into these fairs in Europe or, you know, Vienna, you meet other growers, younger growers or sons of of famous houses that are going in this route that, you know, non-traditional that are looked down at in places like Germany, in Austria, that are going against the family grain, you know, to work in this expressive manner. Right, you know? right. And so it's about so the people. It's about the As people. As you meet the people, it turns you on to trying yeah. the wines. Absolutely. And then supporting them, right? Yep, absolutely. So you're able to do that at Contra, even expand more at Wild Air. You do that for what, about four or five years? I did that for four and a half years. Right. Great notices on the food, on the wine, yeah. on both places. So how does the... Is there any lapse between that and Frenchette? No. Tell no, me how the Frenchette no, thing comes uh, about. Actually, uh, Riyad and, and Lee, they uh, picked up the phone one day and they gave me a call and they said, we're going to do this project. You know, We work together at, at Baltazar. And, uh, Just quickly knew, tell everyone who Riyad and well, Lee are. If you don't know who Riyad and... Uh, well, well, yeah. Riyad, Nazar, and uh, Lee Hansen, they're pretty much, uh, you know, 
furniture in the New York City dining scene. They opened up Danielle back in the day. Lee worked at uh, Oreo, um, which was a very famous restaurant. Charlie and Palmer, right? Charlie Palmer. And Lee and Riyadh was working at Park Bistro in Leal. That's where we met, okay? Pre-Bourdain. Right. Okay. It's funny because the millennials now these days they only know that restaurant through Bourdain, and That's I was in a in a in a in a decade before him. <laughs> yeah. But it, that restaurant was instrumental in New York City in the fact that it was one of the first to put anglais on the menu. It was the first to right. put skate wing on the menu. Right. I mean, they did a lot of things back then that uh, no one was doing with French cuisine. But you and know, Lee and Riyadh we, were very prominent and influential with. Um, what's his name? Keith McNally. McNally. Yeah. All the, you know, the well, Balthazar, which he worked at. That's when it kind of changed because Keith decided to, to hire two real chefs. He never really had a chef in any of his restaurants. Right. Uh, there were cooks, and they hired two chefs that have a vision, that, that knew about food, that really, you know, Keith being the Francophile that he is, they were immersed and based in that French system, and they opened up, you know, what it is now an institution. Uh, you know, we did something in Soho that no one was doing back then. We created a brasserie, and uh, it's it was successful since day one. Still has the chops today. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's still, still as good in it as anything. All right, so you meet up with those guys. They're yeah. telling you about the project. You come to Frenchette. Frenchette opens. It's fairly recent. Uh, yeah, we've only. This is our seventh month in existence. So it, it's. It seems like it's three years old already. I know. Isn't that crazy? The, you know, it was a delay because the the fact when I was leaving Contra, we were supposed to kind of open up at that time, and it was just you know it's New York City construction, Con Ed. Well, that it just gets delayed. It gets delayed. Next, you know, torture. we open up April second. So, uh, so you open in April. We open in April. Incredible notices. Yeah. Incredible, incredible notoriety. I'll, I'll make you a side bet. It's one of the most Instagrammed restaurants, probably. Really? I uh, bet you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when they approached me with this project, you know, I liked the platform that it was, that it was giving me to show and really, you know, show the, show the people not to be afraid with the wines, how you should eat. This one, you know, drink these wines, eat the food, and just the mariage that it does, you know. And it's funny because some people thought I was going to get a really, you know, I was going to struggle. But, you know, a lot of the people in the neighborhood, they were drinking these wines already, you right. know. And it's just like, it was really nice for them. They were so happy. They travel. You know, the world is so small. You know, you have this circle that go to Paris, to go to Copenhagen. They, they eat in New York. And they they all have these wines. They all see these wines. So right. it's like a circle. So it's great for you to expose to them. Yeah. All right, I'm going to talk to you about the wine program here. Yeah. Um, in a few minutes, but I want to ask you a bunch of questions before we get to that. You know, I don't have the opportunity to sit across from a guy like you that really, you know, has dedicated his uh, career to wines and natural wines. So it's not the first time I've asked this question, but I want your take and your definition on what a natural wine is. You just got into it a little. We talked about it before. Yeah. You know, it's tagged differently. It's perceived differently. How do you, how do you see it? It's, 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 I call it like live wine, real wine. It's, it's, okay, so it's, it's wines that, that are farmed, most importantly, in the vineyards without the use of any chemicals and no pesticides, no herbicides. So there's a life in the vineyards that exists, okay? There's, uh, you know, and they strip away all the 
additives you can add in wines. This is something that a lot of people don't know, that there's a lot of additives with, like, mass-produced foods. There's a lot of additives with wines. There's, you know, you could put flavoring, you could put ink coloring, you know, you can put, you could put wood flavor, you could put any type of fruit you want that the customer to perceive, you can add it into the so wine. So it tastes the same every bottle, it, it every year, every vintage. Every year, and they add so much sulfites, and sulfites you know, in large quantity is a poison. Therefore, when you wake up the next morning after drinking two or three bottles of champagne that have been dosed with sugar, that beyond belief, and has sulfites, you wake up with a massive headache. Just like you will wake up if you drink a bottle of vodka, because vodka and these spirits all have a lot of sulfites to give it shelf life. That's why they can stay in the sun, right. and you can sell the bottle and yeah. then walk away. Not and, necessarily a good thing in yeah. the long run. You know? So, you know, these are live products, and it's like, you know, Having an apple, you pick it from the tree, you put it on the, and it's supposed to rot after right. a day or two. You know what I mean? But uh, it's an agricultural you know, product. It's it's for me drinking these wines. They speak to me in a different way, and that's why I was so affected in 2000, 2002, 2003 when I went to the vineyards and saw what they were doing firsthand. It really spoke to me. They they you know they made wine for the people in a very humble way, and they farmed in a very traditional way. And when you drink these wines, your body just accepts them. It's just it's just a drinking juice. My mother, who doesn't drink any wine, she's 84 years old, God bless her. When I have dinner with her sometimes, she goes, I want a glass of wine. And I look at it, I said, what? And she goes, I want the wines that you drink because they taste like juice. And she does not know anything or drink at all. You know. Well, is it fair to say that in the majority of natural wines, the alcohol tends to be a little lower, which yes. makes it drinkable. Yeah. Which your mom is sort yeah, of an unofficial, you know, yeah, testament yeah, to that. Absolutely. It's. I mean, wine. Wine a hundred years ago was a more nutritious drink. You know, it's right. it's made from grapes. It's supposed to be healthy for you. You know, low alcohols, low tannins. You know, low extraction. It's just just supposed to. It's that all juice, changed through the you years. Know? So you talked about the farming, which is organic, biodynamic. Yeah. You know the the farmers vineyards care about sustaining the land too then you get in the cellar so the wine is made there you can't screw it up in the cellar so how do you stay natural so this is this is the most important thing because you can grow grapes organically and do all that work in the vineyards and then when you get to the cellar you know yeasts exists and you can inoculate yeast you can use you know yeast number 238 or 247 or you can have yeast that's ambient in your cellar that starts the fermentation. And this, these are what many and all of these farmers do. And they don't add anything. And they don't strip away. They don't really filter. They, they do a filtration that's very rough. Okay? Um, so you get a lot of the, you know, you get whites that are more turbid looking, you know, because they're filtered. They're not stripped away. They don't look like a glass of water, more or less. That's a big thing with natural wines. Yeah. I mean, unfiltered, a lot are unfined. So the appearance yeah. to some people is like, what's going yeah, on what's here? what's going on? It's like, you know, why does this apple look like an apple that I see on an emoticon? And why does this apple look right. all gnarly? No but, pesticides. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know. What but, about um, the acidity? The, the acidity is uh, normally on the higher side. Uh, it's because of the, the richness in the soils. Uh, the... the the acidity has a great balance with the amount of fruit that's in the wine. Uh, sometimes, you know, 
these guys don't manipulate. They don't heat the wine up. I was just uh, going to ask. They don't play with the acidity. They don't, they it don't comes play. comes out oh, the way they vent ambient it. ambient temperature. Uh, you know, whatever the, the cellar's at, it's at 20 degrees or 30 degrees. The wine is working, and they let it work. And they let it work, and they're tasting it. And when they deem that it's ready, some might put very little sulfites in the bottling, Okay which by the time it gets here, it gets eaten up in the wine and you open it and, and it's gone. And there's sulfites naturally in wine too, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So that You'll can... always see, even with wines that don't have any added sulfur, even in this country, it's by law, by because the TTB. Because it's naturally in yeah, there. Yeah, it's naturally in there, and that's a fact. You know, the, all grapes contain sulfites. And so I, don't, I don't know if this question makes sense or not, but in your mind, in natural wines, and you're going to say both, but what has the biggest impact or what's more important? Is it the farming, farming or the winemaking? You, you answered without hesitation. The farming And by the so way, important. I've asked that question a bunch of times. It's farming 10 farming. out of 10 times. You can tell how good the wine is when you don't see that when, when, the, when the grower is always in the farm and always in the vineyards. It's extremely important. And when you go to the vineyards and you see firsthand... What's happening? It's you know, that's a vineyard, right? That's a vineyard. A guy who farms and makes his own wine. The cellar is the easy part. When they bring the grapes to the cellar, that's the easy part. The work, the hard work, is in those vines in the vineyard. Because there's no ma manipulation, no additions no. in the cellar making and no, all that. Absolutely. You've done your job. Yeah. Now let it yeah. rest, you know, that's and, and move that's naturally. Um, how do you eliminate the preconception people may have about how a wine should taste? specifically natural wines. They I mean, now have a preconceived notion. Yeah, they have a preconceived notion. I, I think they, they need to forget the wines, the word natural. Okay. I think that scares a lot of people, and they think that it's going to smell of a horse's ass and, you know... and Cloudy. Cloudy and barnyard. It's good wine. It's farmed in, in a certain way, but it's all good, real wine. And I think that notion they just have to get rid of. You know, we don't... I don't have... Uh, on, on any of the lists that I work with, even in 360, uh, 10 Bells, Contra, Wilder, it doesn't say natural wine list. Right. It's wines. Okay, you want to find out about the wines? I'll tell you how the wines are made. But they're good wines. They're well-made wines that the farmer did, decided not to use herbicides, pesticides, and farmed with horses and everything by hand. But they're good wines. And don't be afraid of these wines. These wines are really, you know, the, you're either going to like them or you're not going to like them. It's just like eating. Well, like anything. Like anything. Asparagus. Yeah. You're going to love me. So if somebody walked in here and they had no idea about you or the program, you know, and two, three couples, they drink four or five bottles of wine. They have yeah. no idea what natural wine is and your program. They're drinking some of the greatest wines in the yeah. world. That's why yeah. they don't have to be, yeah. you know, labeled. And, and it's funny how I've been seeing people here drinking four or five bottles because of the ease, easiness in drinking these wines and how, you know, how they go with food, how they match with everything. And they just, you know, the bottle disappears. The wine, the easiness. So we're being repetitive, but tick the list off for me. They're easy drinking because they're generally lower alcohol. Yeah. So you're not getting loaded up on that. Yeah. The acidity is complementary to food. Yeah. Um, what else? The tannins are not... The tannins are not gripping and, you know, ripping the enamel off your teeth. There's not too much sugar in them. You know, it's all natural sugars. So, you know, you're not getting this overbearing of stuff that you don't need in your body. It's... It's it's, it's easier to drink. Yeah. It's got why do you, high drinkability. Why do you think... You know, God bless guys like you who, you know, 
talk about all these wines, serve them, and have spent a lot of time. Why do you think most mainstream and legacy records, uh, legacy records, legacy restaurants don't really, you know, participate in it's, wines it, like this on their list? Well, you know, they may have a token or two. Yeah. I, I think that's a... Uh, the easiness it is to... I mean, you have to work to work with these wines. This, this is work. These, these wines are not mass-produced. Uh, you know, these but guys... What does that mean? Getting them? Knowing them? What's uh, no, right? No, they're not making uh, 200,000, 300,000 bottles. They make 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 bottles. So, you know, it takes work in finding them and getting them and working with these small companies. A lot of people, they dial it in. They have people that are making... Their, their wine list from big companies and they put all these this wine they don't so even why, they don't, why bother why bother so that's one reason yeah. what about the stigma people may have of natural wines I mean what, what's that, another reason also, they'll stay that's, away from that's, it that's the stigma they, of natural wine because it's a self defense mechanism because they don't know about it they're like this is no good you know and you know in Bordeaux there's there's natural winemaking going on you know there's Many things that right. are happening Burgundy, in Burgundy, it's existed yeah, for yeah, years. Yeah, for years, you know. You just have to know and put in the work, you know. And a lot of people, they decide, you know, why do, why do you want to use, you know, a pig farms that are, you know, and chickens that are raised in an inhumane way, or you want to spend an extra to get live, you know. In this country, poultry was way more money, a really good rare breed bird was more money than beef and now it's the opposite it's all and factory it's, yeah farm. it's all factory farming you know, and it's, it's it's unethical you know, it's fact it's not healthy and all that you know and that always translates to agricultural products absolutely i mean this is an agricultural product it, it's a, it's a food that's grown just like anything else and it's you know if you and i name the five you know best big legacy type restaurants i would also guess and confirm this for me that a big chunk of the clientele doesn't care. I mean, yeah. they want those trophy yeah. Bordeaux, yeah. Burgundies. They don't so they're think not about it. pushing for it either. No, yeah. That may never change. What do you think? It may never change. I mean, within this, you know, it, it, it should remain like this because if it changes, we wouldn't be able to get these wines. It'll be impossible. Right. Because You're dead. You, you, that, you were the that, first guy standing. I wouldn't be able to get yeah, these Yeah, I mean, it's almost you know? not fair. It, it, it's like it the needs, New York Yankees. They yeah. could buy whoever they want. It needs you know? to remain. And there's such a popularity right now within the world. I mean, there's a natural wine bar in Singapore, Hong really? Kong. You know, Japan is huge consumers of natural wine. So it's like, you know, these wines are spreading in areas, you know, in Russia that they were never before. And they're going to get harder to get, right. you know? But, but you, there's always new people making wine. There's always new people right. to discover. It's know? not going to get easier, though, even it, with all that. No. But you have your relationships and yes. you've committed yourself. Yes. All right, I want to ask you about a bunch of wines. This is more of like a buzz round thing. Give me some quick responses and all that. Because yep. I think these are all things that are, you know, on the landscape of natural wines. Just give me reactions, explanations. Pet nets, definitely a natural wine thing. Not Absolutely. everyone knows about it. Pet nets predate champagne. I mean, right. petit, petit en natural. Method ancestral. Method ancestral. Right. I mean, I love those wines. I have a large section of a list. Actually, it's the first page of the wine list here. Um, it's before champagne, and it's great, fun bubbles. You know, at really accessible pricing. Why would I order? I mean, I know both well, but I want your answer. Why would I order a pet net over a champagne? I, think I know just, each one has their wheelhouse, yeah, but 
I, I, I mean, I love champagne too, but I think pet nats are just fun. I think you know they you are can, fun. You, they're a lot of fun to you know to to have on the table. You know, you don't have to stretch yourself thin on drinking a bottle of champagne. You could drink two or three or four pet nats. And just have like skin macerated ones, have rosés, have whites, and they're a lot of fun. Made from all grapes. Yeah, made right? from all grapes. So it's a fun, great, yeah. you know, it's a good food wine and all that. How about orange wine? You hear a lot about it. Yeah. Tell people quickly what orange wine is well, and what's or- your feeling. Orange wines, I don't like to use the word orange okay. uh, that much. Skin it's macerated? A, yeah, macerated uh, whites. Uh, I call them all white wines. I have them on the list. I don't have a special section for them. Uh, because that's how wines always white wines always look like this a right. thousand years ago, um, but I like I like a lot of the macerated wines, um, but there's a balance also. You know, you don't want to get you don't want to lose the taste of the grape too much. You want to still recognize what what some people make wines where just the grape. Yeah, you can recognize. Is kinda, yeah, it's kind of gone. So there's you know. There's a bit of a learning curve on that when people start working with uh, macerations, how long and what is their be- the best expression on grapes. And the winemakers will tell you, you know, uh, I had Dario Princek who makes beautiful Pinot, Pinot Grigio that looks like a red wine. Okay? Really? And he's discovered that for him, the he used to ex- highly extract the, the Pinot Grigio and now he extracts it for about 10 days and he feels that that's the optimum extraction for his grape. You know, he figured it, it out. Yeah, there's other people that extract it longer and less. You know, so, so they experiment, and so that's one of the knocks could be over extraction. Yeah, over extraction, high high wine. tannins, yeah. and and it just it doesn't, doesn't go down. Yeah, drinkable. I mean, but in in answer to your questions, it's a wine that's made like a red wine. So the right. juice sits with the skins, and that's how it gets the the fleshiness of the red wine. What about? Georgian wines. What's your feeling? Made in Amphora or Clary? Yeah, yeah. Georgian wines are great. Uh, the problem with, in, you know, for many people is we don't have a reference for those 580 grapes that they have that we can barely There's pronounce. So many varieties. Yeah. So Saparavi, you can say, yeah, Chinori, yeah. all these crazy grapes. Karkevi, uh, all these wines, Cazzatelli, they're, they're beautiful wines, and I tasted a lot of great natural wines uh, from Georgia. But it, it, it really makes your, your brain expand because there's no reference. You can't say, this is like a Chenin Blanc. This is like, no, it's its own thing. And you have to approach it as its own thing. And know? going through it sort of for the first time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But you know, what, do you like what you see and taste? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're I, interesting? I, yeah, they're great. You know, things, uh, Oak Rose Wines, uh, Nicky Anzani, uh, you know, John Vunderman. They're making really great wines right now. So you know, people should and, drink they, and there's a nice exchange that's happening between, you know, the the winemakers in France and the Loire going to Georgia, seeing how they were right. doing things for like thousands of years without any manipulation. That's right. And them coming to Europe and learning from these natural winemakers of things that they that could help them. You know what I mean? Very it's cool. it's really we're, nice. We're talking to Jorge Riera. Jorge is the uh, wine director at. Frenchette, if you hear a little background noise, we're sitting at the bar in Frenchette, so it's all good and real ambiance. All right, one last thing on the list, um, then we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about the wine program here. What's the story with domestic natural wines? Uh, there, there's some good strides being made. Uh, getting better? Getting better, getting better. You know, the, the problem that I find in a lot of the domestic wines is they don't do their own farming. They're buying the grapes, you know. They're overseeing the farming, but I think there's a, ah, that's a slight big disconnect 
with the with the grower and the uh, and the winemaker. Right. That's, That's what's getting better. These guys are taking on yes. their own property exactly. or managing yes. a property, you yeah. know, to every uh, detail and all of that. Is that the only way they'll get better and change if the winemakers become vineyard owners? Yeah, I I think that, and they, you know they they're pulling back on the on the high alcohol levels, and you know they're making it more drinkable. Uh, they they're doing some nice some okay. nice strides. All right. I'm going to ask this last question, then we're going to break. Um, What regions, wines, winemakers, varietals, and we could probably do a whole show on this, but just give me top of mind that are exciting you right now. Well, the Loire always excites me. Okay. I love the Loire. My, always, my heart is in the Loire. Right. Yeah, and and the grapes there. That you know, there's Aubois, there's uh, you know Minopino, there's Roma Rantan, there's Grolo, there's Pinot Donis. There's all those ancestral varietals that exist that they're being worked with in a really beautiful way. And in Catalonia, there's you know Catalonia, Spain. Yeah, Catalonia. So you'll Macabeo. die a Loire guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Catalonia, what's going on there? Catalonia, there's a beautiful movement happening with the natural wines. Uh, you know, they're working with ancestral varietals as well, like Sumoy and uh, Macabeo right. and you know Trapat. Uh, and they're doing beautiful work. They're working a lot with Tinajas. You know, there they don't call them Cuervi, they call Tinajas with Amphora that they used. You know, was a traditional. Thing that they always made wines, you know, less woody, less, you know, this right. vanilla. And they're making really exciting, exciting stuff Give there. Give me one more favorite um, exciting thing. Also, uh, Czech Republic and Slovenia. You know, this is uh, an area that, you know, they've been making wines for... What? Tell me two things. The predominant grapes they're making wines from, and there's a handful of influential winemakers from yeah. those areas. Yeah, there's uh, Nesterich that makes beautiful expressions of Pinot Gris and Müller Thurgau, you know, also really nice uh, Pinot Noir, Blau Frankish, you know. You have people like Christian Cheetah that's also working with... T-S-C-H-I-D-A. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll post has, everything like, on the, our social. They're beautiful labels, you know, he's really Very into cool. the art, you know. Uh, but he does beautiful expressions of Cap Franc and Blau Frankish, P- uh, Weiss Burgunder, Pinot Blanc, you know. So some, uh, some exciting Sumina. stuff yeah. coming out of there. Yeah. Interesting grapes, too. Not what yeah. you'd expect, you know, from those countries. All right, those are some good ones. Like I said, I'm going to post uh, as much information as you spew out on our websites. Jorge, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the wine program at French Ed. I have a thing called the wine list where I subject my guests to answer a few questions. Then we're going to taste some wine, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. We're talking to Jorge Riera from uh, French Ed. Uh, This is The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food. And my favorite cookware is the 9-inch cast iron Le Creuset fry skillet that never leaves my stovetop. My Le Creuset recipe? Slab of bacon and some vegetables in the skillet. There is no better skillet than Le Creuset for my kind of skillet cooking. It spoils me. The heat retention is amazing. Heat a tortilla on super low heat. I even take my Le Creuset skillet with me when I travel. Bacon, quesadillas, burgers, chicken cutlets. Chefs always talk about sourcing the best quality ingredients, knowing your suppliers, using the right cookware and tools is just as important. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN. 
That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. All right, welcome back. We are talking to Jorge Riera. Jorge is the wine director at Frenchette in New York City. Um, Jorge, I want to talk to you about the wine program at Frenchette yeah. now because I know you came here for a reason and you put a lot of uh, thought into the program. So let's talk about how you select the wines here, why you selected you did, how does the program evolve, is it seasonal, mm-hmm. you know, what's the passion play behind it. Yeah. I mean, tell me as much about the program. Well, it's predominantly all, uh, I have over like 300 selections, um, Pet Nats, uh, Champagne, and then it's predominantly French, okay? Uh, French is my, my love, and uh, it's within France. Isn't that true of every guy from Brooklyn, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah it's true. Sure. And within France, the Loire is the highlight for me. So I focus on a lot of family growers, you know, father and sons, uh, uh, Beaujolais, the Ardèche, uh, Roussillon, I, I have a huge section of that I love. Um and I just expand from there, and I have Catalonia, Spain, a lot of Spanish wines, and uh, Riabasha's uh, Galicia, and I, I, I delve into a bit of Georgia, you know, Austria, Czech Republic, Italy. Um, so it's a little bit of everything, but the main focus is France. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you said you had about 300 selections. Obviously that rotates seasonally yeah. or even availability yeah, sometimes or whatever. Yeah, a lot to do with availability because like I said, you know, in the Loire the last two years, they've been decimated with frost and right. hail. So very little wine came this year. Luckily in 18, it's going to be great because everyone's reporting huge uh, yields. My Everything God. has been great in the cellar. Everything is behaving the way it's supposed to. So it's really a great sign. So that they really needed that, you know, in yeah, Burgundy, they've been they've been decimated in Beaujolais so you know the wines that came this year they're but there's always like I said there's always wine coming what about as we talk for this interview we're pretty much going into the cold weather mm-hmm. um, drink whites uh, <laughs> the opposite <laughs> of what everybody thinks you know you kind of more from what people look at as warm weather and yeah. potentially you know wines there drink whites and rosé whites and rosé rosés year round right? yeah I have like about 25 uh, so rosés the point of that this. statement is don't believe the hype yeah. drink good wines that's it you're you indoors <laughs> so drink Loire whites yeah. drink rosés yeah, you know from it. everywhere and all of that um so let's talk about the food, because I'm assuming that when you and Lee and Riyadh sat down, they had a vision of what they wanted to put on the menu. You can't tell me that a lot of the thought of what you serve isn't compatible, you know, companion to the food. No, is I, that, is well, that I always a, knew that the, the, the list that I, I know them very well and I know their style of cooking. Right, and I knew that, what they that were part gonna, wasn't hard. Yeah, so I already had... In my mind, I started to unfold like levels of like that I wanted to do for the list. I was I got very excited just hearing on some of the dishes that they were thinking about, and I knew exactly what I wanted to put together. You know, uh, it was very easy for me actually, because going to France and you know and always having the type of foods that they were wanted to execute, and drinking these wines all this time, it was like a pleasure for me to finally put 
those two things together. You know, so that wasn't a, hard at all. It wasn't hard. It was super easy. I and mean, it was, it was something that was probably subconsciously floating in your mind. Oh, yeah. you've been doing this and you yeah. knew these guys. You know? So it was fun to put the list yeah, together. It was, it was a lot of fun. A lot um, of fun. We talked about this a little before, but most natural wines, all the wines we talked about, you know, the Loire and all that stuff, food friendly? Extremely food friendly. In general? In and general. we just talked about, you know, how you made it... Why food friendly? I know we're going to repeat this again, but why food friendly? Because a, it has the acidity that cuts through the richness of the food. It has the low alcohol. And there's some rich the, food here. Yeah, the the low tannins, you know, and the drinkability that, that goes, you know. I mean, red with fish, light reds with fish, you know, rosés with 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 meat, you know, whites with meat. It it all goes into play. You know, like in Georgia, my friend John Okro, he says, you know, when we eat at the table, we eat food and we drink wine. There's no white goes with this and red goes with that. You know, it's like it's all about the drinkability and the mariage between food and wine. What about the clientele? I, I would guess they're diverse in the sense that they come in, have no clue. Uh, a they, lot of them They come do in have and they clue. think they know everything. No, they they come here because. No, uh, we. Ha I mean, we have a, a real New York crowd in here, which is great. Uh, it's really hard to find a real New York neighborhood crowd as well, and they all know what they want. And a lot of them already were exposed to these wines. You know, being in the bistros uh, in Paris and the wine bars, going to Copenhagen, going to Japan. That's why they're and, here. And experiencing, yeah, and that's yeah. why they're here. You know. All right, so. Last question before we go to uh, the wine list. What have you learned about natural wines in the time that you've been, you know, at this game? I mean, what do you know more today than then? What do you feel? I mean, what's well, changed? I, I mean, mean, there's definitely been an evolution of you, the restaurants, yeah. and the wines. Uh, I mean, I, I just think that the acceptability that's happened, that I've watched happen within New York within the country like you know you can now get these wines in detroit you can get these wines in chicago you can get these wines in houston you know all along the west coast is actually opened up now and i think it's just the excitement behind behind it it's i'm really happy to see right. you know amongst the the young and the older generation it's just the embrace that's happening with these wines and you know it's, well when you say young and older Younger is embracing it more than older, or not necessarily. Not necessarily, but the, you know, here you see it more because you see the younger generation accepting the natural right. wines because this is, you know, sometimes they can say this is the cool thing to do, but no, they're 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 really it's about educating the wines themselves. Eventually. It's about the wine, right. and what I've noticed more is that. The kids, the younger generation, they're not getting drunk on beer now. They're getting drunk on wine. I know. Which is really nice. There's it's like this shift. European, it's been a big shift of young kids. Just like, I've seen 19, 20-year-olds buying bottles of wine, of like natural wine. And I was like, wow. That's, that's exciting to me. That's you know, crazy. It's like being in France that you see these kids. Do you, you think, know? what effect do you think social media has had? And yeah, I'm not crazy about social media with wine because what it's done to certain. Why? Uh, because I just don't like the way you know. A it's wine a is showcase. A very, it's a showcase, and wine is a very personal thing. If I open up a bottle between you and I, it's you and me discussing this. I don't need, you know, to show this bottle. And, and a lot of people use social media saying, "I have to drink this bottle." Like I have to so, see without really knowing what's behind the soul of the of the wine. 
You know, all the you, person. You hit it on the nose. You know, and I, that, I, that's what a bottle of wine and yeah, sharing is it about. It loses I, I mean, its soul. It's it's you know, it's about sharing, conversing, and talking about. People know, forget about experience. that, and all they want yeah. is the shot. Exactly. And all of that. You know, it's funny. I've seen shots so that true. I could have taken 15, 20 years ago, and I never did. You know why? I, I, I took the shot, but it was for my personal collection. And it's for, for me to remember that time and place that I shared this bottle with A, B, C, and D. You know? I, I agree with you. I take a lot of pictures with the intention of like, oh, look, I was yeah. here and drank. I, I wind up never. Yeah. I do stuff for the show, but personally, yeah. it really is. About, I, I mean, I think one of the most, not one of the most important things, but an important thing that you said is what wine is about and the interaction and the experience and yeah. natural wine even does more of that. Yeah. Um, that's well said. All right. Jorge, we're going to do our wine list it's five questions we ask. We ask the same five questions to our guests. Um, you don't have to dwell on them. Mm -hmm. We're going to call this, it's called the wine list, but we're going to call this the Jorge Ribera Natural Edition. <laughs> All right? All right, so here's the question. And you may have answered it, but get more specific. What are you drinking now? What like, am I drinking are now? You, are you trying new stuff for the restaurant? Are you expanding? No, I'm not trying. Uh, I, I'm drinking a lot of uh, El Basots. Uh, well, you got to spell uh, that for me. El Basots is uh, B-A-S-S-O-T-S. It's a Chenin Blanc made from a wine grower in uh, Catalonia called John Ramon Escoda. So it's a Spanish is, Chenin. It, it's a Spanish Chenin macerated for about 10 days in Tinaja. Okay, uh, in amphora, which so is it, the amphora. Yeah, so it has this like nice fleshiness, low alcohol, and just you can drink bottle after bottle after bottle. So I've been drinking Do a lot of that. Do you have it on the list? Yes, okay, I have it on the list as well. So I think one of the few places. Anything else? Uh, that and different rosés that I've been drinking. You know, I've been drinking uh, rosé from El Jalapines that's made from a grape from Catalonia called Sumoy. Which I like a lot. S-U-M-O-L-L. Right. Sumol or Sumoy, they say. And who was the maker? El Jalapin, Gloria Garriga. She's in Penedes. And as well as the new arrived Christian Cheetah Rosé, Himmel of Erden, which is a Cabernet Franc. But really beautiful expression, really light, good minerality. Good ones. Good fresh. All right. Silly question, but people like to hear the answer. Does Jorge Riera have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there yeah. something Pino that... Donis, Pino Donis and Explain oysters. Explain what Pino Donis is. <laughs> Pino Donis is a, is a prephylaxera grape from the Loire that uh, has a distinctive white pepper, white peppery uh, notes to it, wild rose flower, and it's a light red. Uh, used to be more of a blending grape. But people have been making great, beautiful expressions of the red, and it goes really great with with oysters. With oysters, it's like a salt and pepper combination. It's really great. So just so you know, that's a first on the show. Uh, We've done this about a hundred times. You know, you always get champagne and oysters, yeah. fried chicken and champagne, steak and cali calves. Yeah. But Pinot Denise and oysters, first time. <laughs> Although oysters is a good food to pair. Yeah. So, all right. Without leaving anyone out or favoring anyone or incriminating, tell me your favorite natural wine restaurant and or bar. Let's stay in New York. If you're walking out of here and you want to hit something, uh, is leaving, anyone doing it well? Yeah, I mean, I like what uh, what the Four Horsemen is doing. I like Wild Air. Wild Air is Wild great. Wild right. Uh, and, and Contra for a sit-down meal. They're really, really great places. All you know? good ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have this is favorite all-time wine? 
Now, it, it, it doesn't Ooh. mean the rarest or the most expensive. You know, usually when you talk to Psalms that work at big restaurants, you know, I had the 61 Petrus, blah, blah, blah. But, but sometimes it's experiential. You know, it's of the moment. What's a favorite all-time wine and why? Favorite all-time? I mean, I, I would have to say... Or a couple. Yeah, there's there's been a couple. Um, tasting a 95 Pinot Gris from Terry Puzla. In his in the, in the you know over dinner, was blew my mind. Okay. Okay. And also tasting in the cellar with uh, Pierre Breton, who's in Bourget. He makes Cabernet Franc, and we tasted a 1947 red that we all thought it was, you know, he made us guess, and we all thought I, I guessed 89, 88, and it had so much life and so much really? fruit, and it was the only year. It's it's that exceptional year in France, 47. That they didn't sell the wine, so all good that was ones. pretty uh, magical. I'm gonna post all those. Those are all good ones. Last question: um, best wine around 15, 20 bucks retail. And here's my setup. I give it every time. I have kids in the 20s. Yeah. They are starting to make some money. Yeah. They can't act stupid anymore. When they go to a party, they got to bring a nice Absolutely. bottle of wine. But they're not spending 40 and they're not spending yeah. nine. So, 15, 20 bucks. What a, what a, what, what I am I buying wine, red? What am I buying white? You can give me region. I mean, yeah. you can say Muscadet. I think La Villana White. That's uh, from, the maker? From, yeah. Uh, no, her name is Joy Cull. She's actually. Uh, Spell her name for me. Joy J O Y. Yeah, J O W Y. Cull K U L L. K U L L. She's uh, Swiss, but was raised in Connecticut and moved to Italy in Lazio. Jeez. Yeah, and she's making wine on this volcanic uh, area by Lake Bolsana, and it's just outside of Rome. And she's making these beautiful wines at that price point. At, at that price point, yeah. And you can get like there's a white that she makes that's a Procanico, Procanico. It's a grape from that area that she macerates for like about four days, and it's in concrete egg. It's called ovo, egg right. in Italian. Right. And it's got this beautiful drawing by this great artist that's a descendant of Maurice Sendak oh, called cool. Jameson Odone that's beautiful. It's really captivating label as well. Uh, and uh, and red uh, Christian Vignet, I think you might break twenty one in a store. V e n i e r. Yeah, that's what we're gonna drink now. We'll yes. talk about it in a few seconds. So that's a great red. Yeah, just with food. Yeah, and, and it's and really all. accessible and it's not really high priced. All right, I'm gonna post those. Those are two good ones. I may have to uh, email you. Yeah, for sure. some spelling or explanations. <laughs> I don't want to send people to no the wrong problem. place. All right, so every week on the show, we do a thing called the Weekly Wine Sip. We taste a different wine on air. You know, sometimes I bring the wine in. I come down here, I figure you could throw a glass out. So for our Weekly Wine Sip, Jorge picked the Venier. Yeah. So just just name the whole label for me. It's Le Haute de Madone, and it's uh, by Christian Vignier. Christian Vignier makes wine in the Loire, uh, in Cheveny, in Loire-Cher. Right. And uh, this is a blend of mostly Pinot Noir with a bit of Gamay. Nice. Uh, and his he, he's you know a farming land that's never seen a drop of, of a chemical since his grandfather was farming. They're very, you know he lives in an ancient village called Madon M A D O N right and uh, which is on the label they all at the Madon yeah and he and he just makes a beautiful expression of this grape and it's 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 just lush fresh fruit easy drinking. All right, so let's let's do a quick evaluation. Let's start with color. Yeah. So it's. 
It's little, a medium, little cloudy. Yeah. It's a, what, a medium garnet? What, how yeah, do you garnet, it? you know, deep ruby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so go nose for me. You're the you're the expert. Give me the descriptors. There's nice salinity. There's beautiful flowers. Did you say there's salinity? A, yeah. On the nose. On the nose. Okay. What else? Yeah. Flowers. I, what flowers, kind? White, uh, red, violet. Uh, reds, reds, okay. and and red fruits too, like bright red fruits. You know, cherries, strawberries, strawberries okay. raspberries. Uh, let's go mouthfeel. Yeah. Mouthfeel. It has that really nice acidity. Really easy. The fleshiness of the red fruits mm. in your mouth. Wow. That solidity along the sides. The, there's floral in yeah. the... Uh, yeah. um, all right. So now give me the mouthfeel descriptors. I think a lot of the nose descriptors yeah. translate, I mean, it's, but it's, it's a very... It's, it's, uh, it, I mean, you know, it's an in-your-face mouthfeel. Yeah. So give me the descriptors. It, I think it's just Solid- a fleshy red fruit, red fruit palette with that salinity behind it and that nice balance of acidity. Just washes over you. Yeah. You know? The the floral aspect's amazing. Yeah. All right, so give me some food pairings for this. This you can have with pate, you can have with any meats, you can have it with steak. Charcuterie. Yeah. Juicy you know? rare steak. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Roast chicken? Uh, roast chicken for sure, veal, pork. So it's pretty versatile. Yeah, it's very I mean, versatile. What would you eat it with? What wouldn't I eat it with? It hmm. pretty much goes with everything. It goes with everything. You know? So on its own is delicious. I like this wine. There's almost when you said the salinity up in my nose in a good way. There's almost like a pickle juice, yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, which I love. Yeah. I mean, there's something <laughs> yeah. very cool about that. You yeah. know, it's very nice. So yeah. we don't like this wine. We love this wine. You can get it down here. I mean, this is yes. just a great wine yeah. for the price for food. And Absolutely. All. If this doesn't epitomize what a good vigneron. You know, yeah. it's making and all of that. So that's the Leot de Madone from Christian Benier. Is there a vintage year in this? This is 2017. 2017. That's what's in the market now? Yes. All right. And ballpark guest retail? I'd, I would say anywhere between 19 and 21 bucks. So great price yeah. point. Yeah. And another thing we didn't talk about on the wine list, and here's a chance. I mean, you go out of your way to stock the list with incredibly reasonable... Yeah, you, you know, I mean, you, the I mean, idea of experience two, three, four bottles of wine and not breaking the bank—that's part of your philosophy. Yeah, right? it's part of my. It's always been, you know, since the three sixty days, and even Jonathan when he first priced the list at Baltazar, did it this way, and you know, Arnold did it at three sixty. We did it at Ten Bells. We did it at Contra and while there, and you know, you say something in the beginning of the show. We bring wine to the people. Wine is for the people, and it's all about accessibility. You know, there are those wines that are higher-end, expensive because of the rareness of them, but, you know, it's all about accessibility and getting access to these wines at a level that shouldn't be, shouldn't be breaking the bank. That's what you know? it's all about. And therefore, you can't drink two or three or four bottles of wine during dinner and, you know. And you do have some expensive wines on yeah, the list, yeah. but it's stoked and stacked, yeah. you know, with all the other stuff, yeah. which is great. All right, Jorge, we're going to wrap up the show. Let me do a quick wrap-up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby. And follow the hashtag, The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at benruby. 
Um, also, subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast. You can get us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. As I said a few times during the show, I'm going to post Jorge's wine list. I'm going to post uh, Jorge's wine selection. And I'll also list a bunch of the wines you know Jorge mentioned during the show. Um, the great thing is, if you want to sample any of these wines, Jorge is here most of the time. Um, come in, say hello. He'll pour you anything. Um, Jorge, where I, <laughs> it's a funny question. Where can we find you and Frenchette on social media? We established that social media, you're not going to go to... No. First of all, you have the craziest <laughs> handle, which we won't even tell people. But if people want to know more about Frenchette, they can go to the website. Yeah, go to the website. It's and, the best. Yeah, uh, or, and the I look, the wine list, yeah. you know, per yeah. se, is on it and all of that. Um, so you could uh, find more about Frenchette, you know, if you just go to uh, just Google or search Frenchette. tags Frenchette. Yeah, to what everyone else. <laughs> be hundreds does. of photographs. All right, I want to thank our guest. I want to thank our guest Jorge Riera. Jorge thank is you. the wine director at, you know, arguably uh, one of the hottest restaurants anywhere right now. And sitting here with him and just the buzz and everything, you can tell why. Um, I want to thank everyone at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.